Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Number one thing, don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. If you just read the bio for Dr. Steve, host of Weird Medicine on Sirius XM 103 and made popular by two really comedy shows, Opie and Anthony and Ron and Fez, you would have thought that this guy was was a bit of, uh, you know, a, a clown. Your show was better when you had medical questions. I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart bone exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast with the wave an ultrasonic echographic and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments. The health equivalent to Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease. So I'm paging Dr. Steve. I was trying to get the dog out from under the console. Hello, Tace. Uh-oh. Help if I turn your mic on. It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of radio. Now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve with my little pal, Tacey. Hello, Hello. This is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you've got a question you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider, if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call. 347-766-4323. That's 347-POOHEAD. Visit us on Twitter at Weird Medicine. Visit our website at drsteve.com for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy, or go to our merchandise store. Cafe, no, don't go there. Cafepress.com slash weird medicine, unless you want to get a Bristol stool scale mug or something. We're going to do something better. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show. I'm talking it over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, physician, assistant. Practical nurse, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. All right. Very good. Um, When you say we are going to do something better, I assume you mean you are. (laughs) No, you and I. No. (laughs) No. I'll do something better. Okay. I'll do better. Yeah. Do more better. Um, We have a new shipment of masks. 
We have 25 masks left, and this probably be the last ones I'm going to order because I'm assuming this stupid pandemic is going to be over soon. So if you want a weird medicine face mask, they're very rare, um, go to drsteve.com and look for the link that says get every show on a thumb drive. And for 30 bucks, you get a 32-gig thumb drive with all of our shows on it and this stupid mask and a little extra treat autographed by Tacey and me. So um, uh, do that today because they are not going to last very long. Oh, high demand. Yes. Well, we've, yeah, we've gone through boxes of these things so far. So, <laughs> um, But if you want archives of all the shows, you can have that. And it goes back many years from the beginning of, uh, of uh, Riotcast and then maybe – well, I don't know. I might I might throw some early Sirius XM stuff in there, but don't hold me to that. Um, I don't actually own that stuff, so that's that that would be the issue turning around and selling it. But don't forget to go to stuff.drsteve.com, stuff.drsteve.com for all of your Amazon needs and wine.drsteve.com, w i n e. Not, oh, I've got the hiccups, Jason. You are great. <laughs> That's some broadcast. That wine, well, mm-hmm. that didn't sound good either, but that, that wine is more fabulous. Wine. More wine. No, I've only had like half a glass. I haven't been drinking. It's just sitting here. Well, I was. Yeah. That was just my redneck accent. <laughs> we were quoting out of uh, um, uh, Clockwork Orange. Oh, see, that, yeah. I thought that movie was horrible. Yeah. Well, that's that's your opinion. You were wrong on that one. Mm-hmm. I have very few things nope. I'll disagree with you. Couldn't on, watch but, it. Uh, I think if you watched it now, you would like nope, it. Nope, probably would. <laughs> okay. Um, wine.drsteve.com. W-I-N-E. It get, takes you to the best wine club ever. And we get cases of wine, at, and they're so such a great price and such good wines that you won't be able to buy at your local wine store it's fantastic so anyway check that out and uh, if you need some earbuds go to tweakedaudio.com and use offer code fluid for 33 percent off and if you would like and i'm not going to keep this going for much longer either if you would like to lose weight with tacy and me go to noom.drsteve.com that will get you um two weeks free Plus 20% off if you decide to do it. It's Noom is not a diet. It is a psychology program. It will help you in other parts of your life as well, but it will change your relationship with food. I still binge on stuff, but I binge on rice cakes now, and I like it, which is crazy. So I've been able to uh, uh, decrease my weight significantly. And by the way, I lost 35 pounds, so I gained a an inch of male membership and as uh, you know as i you know in the process and i love noom it's become something that i can't really live without and uh, but you can just do the three month thing it's totally fine and if you cancel you can still use the app and check out dr scott's website at simplyherbals.net you're listening to weird medicine well hello hello how are you yeah, oh. I got winded coming up the stairs, so I got you did? that. I going. did too. What was that about? I don't know. And I, I, the temperature up here is nice and uh, warm. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice it's way great. To put it. It's great up here. <laughs> well, I did. Um, 
a, an interview on baptize, the baptize machine. I always thought it was baptize the machine, but it's the baptize machine show. And they're just um, a couple of guys who um, are curious about stuff. And it was fun. I've been on there a couple of times. You can check them out on Spotify. Uh, I mean, I did an hour with them talking about, guess what, COVID-19, but also some other stuff. And uh, their website is like cardib2024.com. And what the hell that is, C-A-R-D-I-B-2024.com. But anyway, <clears throat> if you want to check that out, they're pretty good failures. And uh, check out Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. He'll be back someday. Yeah, where is he? Oh, no. I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. So I, I think when you go on the road, what we're going to do is Scott's going to do the SiriusXM show, and then you will do podcasts on Saturday. Are you sure that's the way you want to do it? Because yeah, why not? I'm not sure that's the way I want to do it. Oh, really? Okay, what do you want to do? Nothing. Saturdays <laughs> are, are going to be like one of my two days that I'm not on the road and you want me to come home and work is this like work that's bullcrap is this like work though you know what we could be watching um haunting a blind manor or something like that everybody tells me that that's boring so far i don't care i'm gonna watch it i know me too what about the bachelorette though yeah that's good what an s show that is good it's good it's very entertaining. It's hard to watch. For all you people who think you're too good, <clears throat> you should just try it. <laughs> this one is really, wow. This woman they've got this time is, um, she's something. Now, she decided on this one guy and then just blew everybody else off. And these guys are ready to walk off the show. But I hope they don't because they've got a treat coming their way in uh, Tasia or Tasha or whatever her name is. Mm-hmm. Basically, my name, just different. That's right. It's mm-hmm. very similar to your name. Yes. Anyway, so, yeah, The Bachelorette, it is the true definition of an S show. What else are we watching? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares what we're watching. Mm-mm. All right, unless it's Love Island, and then everyone cares. Mm. <laughs> Especially the British Love Island. Um, all right. Well, okay. That's going nowhere. So why don't nope. we just, let's just answer some questions. You want okay, to just let's do, do that? that because I did no prep today. Okay. Well, I did. And then I didn't actually uh, drag the files over here. So let me, let me find the files real quick. You sent me something, but I, <clears throat> oh, I did. What was that? Did not read it. <laughs> oh no. Come on. Really? You, you want me to read shit in the middle of what I'm going through with work right now. Do you still have it? I don't know. Let me look. Could have done this before. Yeah, it's okay. God dang it. Okay, come on. This is very professional. What I should. Sorry, everybody, but. I can't get this folder to open. Okay, keep both. Yes, there we go. Okay. Yeah, this is great. Really, this is going really good. Okay, so. Number one thing don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. All right, well, while you're looking for that. I will just do some phone calls, okay? USPSTF okay. lowers collect colorectal cancer screening age to 45 in draft recommendation. Yes. Okay, I did. I, that is why I sent you that. So the USPSTF is the United States some uh, preventative task force, some stuff. They, what their, their job is is to evaluate the data and tell us 
what things make sense to do from a screening perspective um, uh, on the general population. <clears throat> and they stratify it by age. So the definition of a, of a screening tool is something that is very sensitive. In other words, if you're going to screen for colon cancer, the test you're doing should be really sensitive, right? So people screen for colon cancer by just looking for blood in the stool. And that's not a good screen because, you know, maybe 40 to 60% of people who have a tumor don't have blood in their stool. They don't all bleed right in the beginning, at least. So uh, the, the other thing is that the disease should be prevalent. In other words, should be common. You shouldn't be screening for rare diseases because you're going to get more false positives than you will false negative. I mean, than true positives. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is the test should be relatively inexpensive. Oh, and then the fourth thing is the disease should be treatable. So you don't want to um, uh, test for things like Huntington's chorea. You don't want to screen for that in the population because if you find it, you've just doomed somebody to be worried about it until it happens to them. And then there's nothing we can do about it. So don't screen for that. You want to screen for diseases that you can prevent that eventual outcome. And it should be cheap. So the colonoscopy kind of fails that one, it's very sensitive for tumors. The disease, colon cancer, is prevalent. And it's treatable when you catch it early. Colonoscopy is not cheap. But you know what? Compared to the alternative, it's pretty cheap. So it's a decent screening test. As a matter of fact, because of the one positive thing with the Affordable Care Act, uh, well, there, there are multiple ones, but one of the positive things about the Affordable Care Act is that pretty much all insurances now have to cover screening uh, screening tests. So if you need to have a colonoscopy and they can they can sell it to the insurance company as a screening tool, almost always get paid for. So now they're decreasing the age for people at normal risk from 50 to 45, and I think that's a good thing. So is this a done deal? No. It it's a draft, draft. It's a draft yes. proposal, okay. but it's most likely that that draft proposal will make it to the final thing because usually they won't publish a draft proposal unless they're pretty sure that it's going to um, make it to the final, you know, to the final thing. Okay. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, and that'll that'll change some things. Um, you will be hitting people five years earlier, and remember now. Let's say if your father had colon cancer at age thirty, at age forty-five, you need to have your first colonoscopy ten years before that. So it's age; it'll be age forty-five, or ten years before a first-degree relative had colon cancer, whichever one comes first. Right. Okay. Okay. So that's how it works. Well, so there is my pre-work. There you go. Thank you. I'm glad you brought it. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's answer some questions. Okay. P.S. If, if somebody dies of malnutrition, and why is he laughing? What organs and what dehydration? dehydration? What organs can be donated? I don't think it's much as dehydration as malnutrition, but what organs can be donated? Okay, so excellent question. That sounded like uh, marijuana. <laughs> you think it was? Uh, this was pot talk. That was pot talk. I think that's what it sounded like to me. I could be wrong. And then right after, they're like, what were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> that was always. Maybe not. I could be wrong. 
Well, all people should consider themselves potential organ and tissue donors. So it doesn't matter how old you are, how healthy you are, anything. Don't rule yourself out. Um, even if you have a health condition, I tell people, because I'll ask people, you know, in the, at the cancer center, do you want to be an organ donor? And they're like, well, they can't take anything. Let them worry about that. Because there are things that they can take. For example, even if you have certain conditions that would preclude them from taking maybe your liver, you know, a.k.a. if you had liver cancer or something, they could till, still probably take your skin. And that sounds horrible. You get this image that they're going to skin you like they do, um, a, you know, a rabbit or something when you watch one of those survival shows. But that's actually not the way it works. If you've ever seen one of those uh, cheese uh, cutters that where you just drag it across the block of cheese and it takes a strip off the top, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about? Yes. That's what the dermatome looks like when you cut off strips of skin. So most of the skin comes from the back. And uh, you just take off strips of skin and you put it in this saline, sterile saline solution. And what they use it for is bandages in burn units. It's the best bandage that you can have. This is our Halloween talk. <laughs> I know. It sounds awful, but it's uh, you're not getting skin. So feel free to at least donate your skin. But uh, you can... Uh, become an a organ donor anywhere from being a newborn up until your 90s. And um, there's no reason not to. So uh, dehydration, if someone died of malnutrition and dehydration, their skin may be tough to uh, harvest. But other than that, their organs should be fine. You know, Now, if you've got an organ that totally failed, you don't want to transplant that to somebody. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, their kidneys may be okay. Um, you know, if they died of renal failure, that may be an issue. So, But just let the donor services worry about that. They'll test the organs. If the patient is brain dead, <clears throat> and then you can do a live donation. You know, you wait till the patient just right when they die, and then you, you uh, open them up and take their organs out and, and save them. If the patient has already passed away, then you can't. Donate things like hearts and lungs and livers at that point. The only thing you can donate are things like uh, uh, corneas and skin. But there is this other thing that you could consider. And James Bird, who used to be on, we've had on the show before, he also came in second in the funniest person in the Tri-Cities competition. Uh, he runs a company that um, does medical research. So you, when you are done using your body, a.k.a. you've passed away, they take you there. They, if, if some researcher is doing uh, studies on cartilage of the knees, they take a knee. Uh, if they're doing studies on islet cells in the pancreas, as Dr. Scott would call islet cells, um, then they'll take those. And then they cremate you and give you back to the family within a month at no cost. So... Uh, it's basically you get a free cremation out of it and you've advanced medical science. So that's another way to go if you don't want to donate or if you feel like you don't have anything worth donating. So, But, again, let them worry about that. All right? Questions, comments, taste? Nope. Okay. I got nothing. <laughs> hey, okay. Yay! Hey, it's... It's Steve. It's Scott. <laughs> anyway, hey, got a quick question Stacey for Stacey Deloach, everybody. Eczema. What is eczema? 
I mean, I've seen people with the red, blotchy skin and things such yeah. as that, but never really, since it didn't affect me or close to me, never really took time to ask anything about it. And will he eventually grow out of this? Maybe. Most likely, or is this something he's just going to deal with for the rest of his life? It's not real bad. Well, I had eczema when I was a kid, and I don't have it now. So eczema is just, we call it atopic dermatitis. It just makes your skin red and itchy. And it's very common in children, but it can it can occur in at any age. But like I said, I had it as a kid, and I don't have it now, so it, it they can grow out of it. Um, there's a lot of stuff that you can do, um, but first you got to diagnose it. So, uh, it, you know, normally you'll see dry skin, itching, red patches, and they can sometimes be brown or even gray, which makes it difficult because things like tinea versicolor, which is a fungus, can look like eczema too. And then uh, you may get these little raised bumps, thickened, crack, and scaly skin that'll make you think, oh, gosh, do I have psoriasis? Can you explain the difference between psoriasis and eczema? Yeah, psoriasis is an autoimmune disorder of the skin that just affects a different layer. So you get these big, thick plaques, and you get a thing called the Kebner phenomenon. The Kebner phenomenon is people who have psoriasis will know this when you scratch your arm and then all of a sudden you'll get these plaques of psoriasis growing where that scratch was. So it responds to trauma as well, which is why a lot of times we'll see it on the extensor part of the elbow. You know, it's part that you're always banging and leaning on stuff, and you'll see psoriasis there a lot of times. So it responds to um, trauma, whereas eczema really doesn't. So, um, you know, the primary risk factors for eczema is having a family history of eczema or hay fe- you know, allergies, a.k.a. hay fever or asthma. So uh, one of the things that you can do to prevent eczema is, is, mo- is to moisturize your skin and try to identify and avoid things that cause it. It could be stress or sweating or certain soaps and stuff like that could do it. And... Um, you want to use soaps that are hypoallergenic. And then, you know, you want to actually dry yourself very carefully as well because um, even the trauma, for, you know, just rubbing that top layer of skin can exacerbate your eczema. We know somebody that gets eczema every time uh, they have intercourse. Oh, and we do? Uh, yeah. Mm. And um, <clears throat> it's really frustrating to them. And uh, it's, it's hard to uh, prevent. Because if friction can cause eczema, well, it's hard to have intercourse without friction. It's sort of the whole thing. Now, if you have this bad enough, your doctor could prescribe steroid creams. And then uh, the one I really like is uh, Pemacrolemus. It's called Elidel. It's a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory cream. And uh, it's related to Tacrolemus, which they use in... uh, um, uh, to prevent um, uh, uh, organ rejection. So uh, so there are treatments for it. Just see your dermatologist or your primary care provider, and they should be able to help you. Well, my voice, it just sucks today. I've noticed that. Ah, so I'm going to drink. Drink some more alcohol. It'll make drink. it all better. <laughs> anyway, that's sort of my treatise on eczema. 
So I hope that helps. If you still have questions, feel free to call us back. Yeah, I've been talking all day. I mean, I started out doing, I voted this morning. No line, I hear. No line whatsoever because it was raining, but people don't realize that the line is on the inside. But because it was raining, nobody came out. So I was in and out of there in 10 minutes. It only took me an hour, so that was great. And there's always some this weird guy that's always on the presidential ballot. Have you noticed that? His name's like Toopy Deloopy or something like no. that. <laughs> <laughs> He's there every time. I noticed it this no, time. No, I've never noticed that. Did, was Kanye on yours? Yes, though? he was. See, I didn't pay attention to that. <clears throat> yeah, he was on the very far right, which makes it difficult because you're looking at, you know, the um, the the column on the left looks like it's all the presidential candidates. So, you know, it was, um, it's like, I, it, I, I had to look for it. Because, of course, I voted for Kanye. Yeah, well, I didn't, only because I didn't see it. <clears throat> that's right. You thought he wasn't on there. So, so that's voter, some sort of voter suppression. I, I was suppressed. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. All right. Let's take another one. Hey, Dr. Steve. This is Sean from Montana. Hey, Sean. I was calling to check in and see what your outlook was on mental health. 
and oh, it's terrible with him mental health. It's terrible. I have a loved one that has never been diagnosed with a mental health issue. Okay. Uh, but claims that this that they have said anxiety and depression. How does that work? And is this person? It sounds weird, but able to claim them they do have these without it being a diagnosis. Well, that's that's kind of a cool question. It is a cool question. And yeah, you kind of can. Yeah, you absolutely can. And um, you can, yes, you can absolutely look. If you're anxious, you know it. You do. Now, know there's it. times when you don't know it's anxiety. There will be people that come in and say, "I think I'm having a heart attack." Well, what are your symptoms? Well, you know, uh, my heart's beating really fast, and I'm I'm hyperventilating, and my fingers and mouth is tingling, and then you have to diagnose that, you know, them. you rule everything else out, and anxiety ends up being a diagnosis of exclusion, but, you know, they're having a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And some people get mad when you tell them that. You know, that reminds me of the very first time I was at a football game and smelled pot. Yes. I knew exactly what it was and had never smelled it before, and that's exactly like anxiety. Well, that's interesting, isn't you it? You feel it, and you know it. Yep. It, it just the word matches how you feel. And I think depression is is you don't have to be a genius to know it when you can't get out of bed yep. or when you have no interest in doing things. And there are commercials on television all the time. The problem is that people won't get help. That's right. That's the problem because everybody wants to be a big boy or girl. And right. that's, that's or they or they're afraid of. Being shamed or yes, whatever. Yes, ostracized. <clears throat> really, the, the shrink's office is one of the few places other than really your spiritual leader, and not every spiritual leader is this way, where uh, you should not feel any shame or feel judged. Or even your family practice provider. I right. mean, they, I, if people knew Casey's how right Give yourself a bill. Ooh. Seventy percent of psychiatry is practiced in primary care exactly. offices. Exactly, and yep. it, it is just simply people are sick mentally. There's a lot of stressors on people these days with work, and, and especially with COVID. And so, it is no big thing to go to your physician and say, "I think I'm depressed." So, how about this one? Someone who has lost interest in intercourse, so they've lost their libido. No, don't bring me into this. I'm not. <laughs> No, not you. Someone, this is a hypothetical person. Someone's lost their their libido and they've lost their their ability to enjoy things and they've also lost the desire to do things. So they have loss of libido, apathy, and anhedonia. What would you diagnose them with? Well, see, I'm not a physician, so I would not. I would ask. What would you think that they have? Well, I I would think that they had something going on, and they would need to take a questionnaire that they can get off the internet. Okay, and 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 what it's going to show them is they're probably depressed. So, and but they'll say, well, but I'm not sad. I don't feel sad. So that was the point I was trying to make: is you can have all these symptoms of depression and never feel sad and still be diagnosed with depression because sadness really isn't 
sad mood isn't necessarily a keystone of depression. And sadness and anger are two, and and anxiety are are all those things that can get wrapped up into one, and you can mistake one for the other. Yep. And so, or one can cause the other. Yes, and and a lot of people who are anxious are really just trying to, the anxiety is trying to protect them from their anger. There's all these different things. Or they have repressed anger, which comes out as depression. Exactly. I know I had, when I had my panic syndrome, I was symptomatic with floating severe 10 out of 10 anxiety for probably six months straight. And I got depressed from that because I thought I was never going to get better. You know, so the anxiety actually ended up causing a, a what we would call a reactive depression because you know the cause of it. So that was horrendous. Did I ever tell that story? Uh, I'm sure you've told me. I probably. <clears throat> well, I caught somebody trying to break into my house. Oh yes, you did tell me that story. Yeah, I just wonder if I told it on here, and then, and then I realized how vulnerable I was because he was just on my back porch, going to come in there, and when I. When I confronted him, he just, you know, wasn't even scared that I, that I confront, you know, that I had caught him in the act. And where did you live at this time? I was living in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. With no money. With no money. Yeah, what did he think apartment. he was going to get? Yeah, I know, right? I was a college student with no money, mm-hmm. nothing. And, uh, you know, I just went, yeah, dude, what do you, what's up? And he just went, yeah, man, like that. And just sort of very slowly walked away. It was not. It wasn't like somebody went, oh, I got caught and ran away, you know. There was no fear whatsoever. And that freaked me out. And so I started having anxiety. And I didn't know what it was. I went and got all these different diagnoses. At one point, I thought I had hepatitis. I went to all these doctors. And uh, finally ended up in the shrink's office realizing that I had anxiety and panic syndrome. And if I had a good day, I knew I was going to pay for it, that my anxiety would come back. And that feeling of just your adrenaline just flowing all the time, and you don't know what you're scared of. And my thing was that I hated crowds. And when I was walking down the street, I'd see all these people having fun and just walking, talking and stuff. And I wanted to scream at them that murderers have walked on the same sidewalk. <laughs> and and then, you all are deluding yourselves the, mm-hmm. into thinking that you're safe. And your head wants to just fly off the top yes. of your head. Yeah. Yes. So I did counseling, and that helped. I got uh, my brother, actually. Uh, one of my symptoms was severe nausea that went along with this, and he gave me a, a pill called Combid, which had compazine in it, which is an anti—you know, it's a tranquilizer, uh, antipsychotic type of tranquilizer. And it had something else in it. I don't know what it was. I tried to look at it. But my symptoms, just like that, went away and while I was on the medication. And I realized—my brain realized the symptoms could go away. So that was the beginning of me getting better was that when I realized that I didn't have to feel like this the rest of my life. And then, um, remember, crowds were the thing that would trigger me, really just send me into high gear. But my love of fireworks that my dad granted to me was greater than my fear of crowds. So I went to the North Carolina State Fair one year, and it rained like five nights in a row. And it was the last night of the fair. So when they did their fireworks show, they had to shoot off all these fireworks, right? So they shot off every single firework that they had for the finale. 
It was incredible. I've never seen anything like it to this day. I mean, it lit up the sky, and it was lit up for what seemed like 10 minutes. You better know. than Disney? Yeah, it, way better because, I mean, Tacey, they, they took five days' worth of fireworks and shot them off all at once mm-hmm. for the finale, right? So uh, when we were leaving, though, there was one little gate to go through, and there were 10,000 people trying to all get out of that one gate. And I was shoulder to shoulder with people as far as I could see from the right to the left there was no escaping it and my wife at the time looked at me and she knew you know how I was she said are you okay and I said I'm gonna have to be because at that moment I was either gonna have to get better or die and I chose not to die Mm -hmm. and uh, ever since that day now I it took me years to still you know, I still didn't like walking in front of an open window at night, you know, because I couldn't see out. But uh, even that's gone now. So those of you out there that have generalized panic disorder or um, or generalized anxiety disorder, it can it can be cured because I am I am absolutely cured. I have some anxiety type behaviors that I have, but they're they don't affect my life anymore. I, however, am not. Mm-hmm. But what I will say to that fellow who just called, yep. just talk to your who was it? His friend or well, it's a family it's, member it's or someone? A, a quote unquote, a family member. Yeah, just encourage them to go talk to somebody and get some help. I mean, not yeah. a psychiatrist, not a psychologist. Well, that's or not even, maybe, but they don't have to start it that. It doesn't but, have to start that way. That That is not the first step for most, I would say. Agreed. And just go talk to your family practice physician or a nurse practitioner or somebody like that and and just see, see what, what they can do because a lot of times you can get better. Now, sometimes it does take many medications to get somebody better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, many different, and you've got to find the one right for for each individual person. But And my anxiety disorder was triggered by a specific event. Mm-hmm. So I think in that regard, I was more likely to be able to make it go away forever, you know, than someone that just has generalized anxiety from childhood trauma or something, you know. Yeah, anxiety's tough, but you don't even have to be put on controlled substances. That's right. To control I never was. They and, never gave me it. They never even offered it to me. Yeah, and a lot of people who like to smoke marijuana or, or God, I'm talking about that a lot today. But any, a lot of people who like to do that just to treat the anxiety may actually be making it worse because yep. it makes it better for a little bit and then it. And that just comes right back like a demon because that's what it is. Sure. So. Sure. Well, and that's why, you know, we try not to take young people and put them on, say, Alprazolam or Xanax or Lorazepam, which is called Ativan. Because as those things wear off and they're habit forming, now the drug itself, the act of its wearing off, uh, you know, coming out of your system actually triggers anxiety. So now you got to take another one. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's real. That's a train that's really hard to get off. Mm-hmm. So, as as you know, preach it yep. exactly. <laughs> so, but please, who if it's you or your family member, have them get help. Yes, you can make that diagnosis yourself, but there may be some nuances to it that they can't do because they're not a medical professional, mm-hmm. and they can get some help. There's all kinds of questionnaires you can do on the <laughs> internet, and just yep. try to see what's going on but it's really an an easy not a weird thing to go to your family practice yeah. physician there's no for. shame in it matter of None. fact 
Especially now. I mean, especially now. Let's look up the prevalence of depression in the United States. So prevalence. Well, uh, let's look it up in COVID. In COVID. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that of depression in the U.S. Okay, let's see here. So, what is the prevalence of major depressive order in the United States? Uh, I'm just okay. I'm just asking for the answer. Seven point six percent of of Americans aged twelve and over had depression defined as having moderate or severe depressive symptoms in the past two weeks, more prevalent among females than males, and among adults aged 40 to 59 than those in other age groups. So 16.1 million adults had at least one major depressive episode in the past year. So it's a lot of people. A lot of people. And I bet it's higher than that. It's like COVID-19. There's people who aren't reporting reporting their illness to anybody so they don't get you know you know the statistics don't get uh, mm-hmm. collected on them all right all right hi dr steve hello this is sarah hello sarah um i turned 38 years old in july excellent of 2020 and my husband turned 43 in september uh since i was about 35 ish my libido has been cranking upward uh everybody that i've spoken to about it says that it's my body recognizing that i'm getting closer to menopause oh so it wants to get pregnant you think that's what it is reproduce that way that's interesting uh i wanted to know is that true does your libido increase before menopause because your body's trying to get the last few babies it can if that's a really interesting hypothesis or is that just an urban myth and everything every woman is different there are some women that may have that there are some women their their libidos go up after they go through menopause because then they're like i can't get pregnant anymore so i can do whatever i want what were you going to say you told me there would be one day that i would want it all the time and I think well, that was I was wrong. 40s. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that so we better be doing it all the time back then. Hmm. Yeah, and you were totally wrong. Yeah, I don't want y'all to think he doesn't ever get it though. That's no. not true. Shut up. Yeah, and, no, I, don't. Um, I didn't say anything. So anyway, yeah, um, there is this thing called perimenopausal sexual peak, and some women have that. Where right before they go through menopause. Now, how old did she say she was? She's not anymore. No, she's in her 30s. Oh, she's, no, that's not it. Because unless women and her family go through early menopause, the average age for menopause is like 51. So, um, yeah, perimenopause, usually that's, you know, the premenopausal syndrome usually starts in the 40s. It can be as early as one's 30s. And um, here's what Mayo Clinic says. Perimenopause is the transition time from more or less regular cycles of ovulation and menstruation toward permanent infertility or menopause. So uh, this person says uh, you can think of perimenopause as a bookend to puberty when one's hormones once again wildly fluctuate. And because the ovaries are, you know, they're gradually ceasing to produce hormones. 
So you, some women will have an increase in libido. And if, if it's not like driving you crazy and you're not just doing stupid things, all I can say is enjoy it if, if you enjoy it. It's okay to enjoy that. And because it may not last forever. Now, um, as I said, everybody's different. I've known women that started uh, just having sex with everybody after they went through menopause for the reasons I said, because now they felt in their head free that they couldn't um, um, that they, they couldn't conceive anymore. So they felt more free. I had a friend who couldn't have an orgasm because she had um, a tubal ligation when she was very young. And uh, for a medical reason, and she couldn't uh, ever get pregnant, and she didn't ever feel like in her head that there was any reason to ever have sex because she couldn't uh, conceive. And so she never had orgasms. It was almost like she was punishing herself. And she started having orgasms when she realized that's what it was. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it was a truly just 100% psychological. So that's interesting. Uh, And all I can say is it's a mystery. Libido is a mystery. All right. Hey, Dr. Steve, this is Ryan from Indiana. I got a question about the COVID. Did you have anything to add about the libido thing? Nope. Okay. Vaccine. Um, everything you hear or read in the media says they're close to it. And, you know, it's <laughs> weeks away and whatnot. And I was wondering why it was easier or it is easier to get to a vaccine rather than uh, having a therapeutic for them to make a medicine first. You would yeah. figure they would get that first. It's a great question, and you got to think of how this is done. So when you're going to make an antibody to something, you're, the body does it, right? So all you got to do is expose the body to the protein or give it the instructions to make the protein, which is what an mRNA vaccine does, like the Pfizer vaccine. Is a um, is a set of encoded instructions that the body then takes in, and then the cells produce the vaccine, and uh, the body reacts to it, and you get uh, immunity. That's actually way easier than trying to figure out okay, what pathway does this thing use to reproduce itself, and how can I interrupt it? So. You'll notice that all the drugs that are right now uh, being proposed for COVID-19 are all off the shelf. Every single one of them. Remdesivir was developed for Ebola, was ineffective in Ebola. It's moderately to mildly effective in COVID-19. Remdesivir basically is um, a fake building block. So if... When the virus tries to reproduce itself, it inserts remdesivir instead of the uh, the nucleotide that it's supposed to, and then it just breaks down and can't finish the job. It's almost like I've, I've, a terrible analogy, but like if you uh, substituted bricks made out of sand to a, for a bricklayer that was br- laying a wall, and if you can substitute enough of those sand bricks, the wall will just collapse before they they can finish it. Does that make sense? I mean, Tacey. I don't know. Well, <laughs> okay. So, um, Tacey doesn't like my analogies, but that's that's one I can come up with. But anyway, remdesivir, uh, favipiravir was developed in Japan 
for influenza, and they did decades of research before they came out with that. And then we're just trying to pull stuff off the shelf. So that's what happened with hydroxychloroquine is there were some studies uh, done on a, in a computer simulation that showed that hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin and some other drugs might be effective against this virus. And then that French researcher, Didier Rayot, decided, well, let's try it on people. And then he published these quote-unquote studies that were really observational, anecdotal studies that said, hey, I gave it to 300 people and they all got better. Well, that makes sense when you have a disease where, you know, that has a case fatality rate of, of you know, 0.5% or whatever, that if you have 500 people, maybe one or two of those will die. So if you only have 300, then, um, you know, maybe none of them will die by chance. So uh, that got a lot of people excited in the beginning because it's just an off the, you know, off the shelf drug that's very inexpensive. And uh, there you go. So for us to design a molecule that will specifically prevent COVID-19 viruses, SARS-CoV-2, from reproducing is much, much harder than taking that the protein and injecting it into people's arms. That's why the vaccine is hitting the market before any novel uh, and therapeutic is going to hit the market. And really before any... Um, uh, you know, off-the-shelf therapeutic, because you still got to test them. And you still got to study them. You got to give it to thousands and thousands of people. And I was really hoping favipiravir would be out by June or July. And I'm very disappointed that we're getting into November and we still haven't seen it yet. But, you know, it ain't all about me. So, oh, let's talk a little bit. You know, my my vaccine mm-hmm. trial so they give me the vaccine. They told me that the placebo was saline, right? Mm-hmm. And, but I had muscle pain, and I had at the site of injection, which I would not get with saline, plus I had muscle aches and pains for two days afterward, okay. low-grade temperature elevation. Okay. I went, and I'm, I'm going to be smart and unblind the study myself because there's a double-blind placebo-controlled study, meaning that I don't know if I got placebo or if I got real vaccine. But I suspected I got real vaccine, particularly when the nurse slipped and told me that the placebo was saline. So I'm so sure I got one of my uh, I got my primary care provider to order a uh, COVID-19 antibody screen on me. Totally negative. No, no. Are you sure it would have been positive? No. Well, I thought I was. Oops. Sorry. You're just pushing buttons. Uh, I thought that that told me that I must have gotten placebo. I was just mistaken. And maybe they did use meningitis vaccine as the placebo because that's what Oxford is doing. But somebody, and I'm sorry if you're listening, I'm not giving you due credit, um, told me that one of the researchers was saying that if you got the vaccine, you wouldn't have normal COVID-19 antibodies, the ones that they're looking for right now. You would have antibodies to a side chain that the, that the vaccine is producing 
that's a different target for the antibodies. And so I then that made me feel better again. Well, good. <laughs> maybe, maybe I did get it. And I can't order those, but Pfizer can, and they did. So what's going to happen is when they apply for FDA approval, and if it's approved, they will notify everyone that had uh, the um, the placebo to come in and get the vaccine, and then they'll enroll us in the treatment arm of the trial, and they'll they'll just terminate the placebo end. So, either way, I'll end up getting the vaccine pretty soon. But I'm I'm just hoping that I really got the real deal. So, but I was very disappointed until this very smart person pointed that out to me. I thought that was kind of cool. Okay. Well, there you go. There we go. So I, I just still have to be careful. I was hoping that I could just go, just stroll into the COVID wing and not put on any PPEs and go, hey, how y'all doing? But I'm not. No, that's that not wouldn't. Work. Please don't. <laughs> okay. Hey, Dr. Steve, Ken from New Jersey. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, I'm thought I was getting a headache just now, and I was just thinking, has there ever been any uh, resolution or uh, facts come out for sure about the use of ibuprofen with this COVID? I think it was initially, you know, if you took an ibuprofen, uh, they said, oh, you're more likely to get it or die from it. Yeah, that was crazy. uh, I've been using the other one that uh, doesn't work as good. I guess it's Naperson. Oh, acetaminophen. Yeah, it's Tylenol. I don't know if there's been any data out there. Thank you, sir. Enjoy your day. Okay, so here we go. Yes, in the early days, contrary to what we would have thought, people were saying that uh, nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory drugs were actually contraindicated in patients who were at risk for COVID-19 because it would increase their risk of getting sick. And I never could figure that out because if if cytokine storm is a big part of this disease, really a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug should be helpful, right? Um, cytokine storm being a hyperinflammation situation. And uh, I've always found that ibuprofen or naproxen is better for bringing down a fever, for fixing a sore throat, muscle aches and pains than Tylenol was or acetaminophen. So uh, there was a cohort study published on when was that? It was very recently um, on, in the uh, online journal called PLOS One, which was a decent online journal. I mean, it's a good one. And it said that the use of nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen is not associated with severe COVID-19 disease or death. And they looked at data from 9,236 Danish residents who tested positive for SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. They looked at them from February 27th to April 29th, and 248 of those had filled a prescription for a non-steroidal in the 30 days before their diagnosis. And weirdly, in Denmark, if you want to get ibuprofen 200 milligrams, you got to have a prescription. That's something. Huh. So there were no significant differences between non-steroidal users and non-users in terms of 30-day death rate. It was 6.3% in the NSAID group and 6.1% in the non-users, and that's not statistically significant. It's within experimental error or with hospitalization or intensive care unit admission. So uh, matched analyses showed that the non-steroidal users were no more likely than non-users to die within 30 days or to require hospitalization, ICU care, mechanical ventilation, or dialysis. So there you go. 
All right? So, yeah, it's okay, and I've gone back to using them again. Okay. All right? Yes. There's the answer. Hello, Dr. Steve. This is Mike from Buffalo. Hello, Mike. I'm just calling to ask you a question about uh, numbers, basically. Um, so the answer I've is 42. Seen, uh, conspiracy <laughs> oh. theories, we'll call them, uh, floating around the Internet these last few months about uh, deaths, like total deaths in the world or even the country. Yeah. Um, and their relation to the corona, the COVID or coronavirus. Yeah. Um, so people are claiming like, you know, oh, let's just say whatever the number is, you know, oh, 400,000 people die a year in America. Well, now how come the numbers aren't like double that right now because oh. of this newfound, this, you know, the, the COVID-19? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great question. They they are, and there's all kinds of data that shows that there's excess mortality in this country. So excess mortality is what you're asking about, and it's an epidemiologic term. It's, look, the same calculus, right? You've got to what you have to do is look at this week last year, and do, and then the week before that, and the week before that, and do a running average because you got to smooth that data out a little bit. And then you have to take into account, has the population increased or decreased? And are you going to look at a certain age group? And has their population increased or decreased? Because you've got to correct for that, too. Because if you have, you know, all of a sudden you have a huge immigrant population, just for example, that doubled your population, then you would expect the mortality to increase by, you know, 100%. And that doesn't really say anything because the population increased. So you have to correct for that. So excess mortality is a comprehensive measure of the total impact of the pandemic. And it's better than COVID-19 death count alone because, Tacey, you brought this up earlier. People aren't just dying of COVID-19. You know, they're dying of suicide or they're not seeking medical care because they're scared to go to the mm -hmm. hospital, stuff like that, right? Depression. Uh, so what you do is, you know, you take the deaths and then you minus the average deaths and divide it by the average deaths. And then you, that gives you a, and then multiply it times a hundred and then you get a, this score. And it's, uh, so let's just look at this. I'm looking at ourworldindata.org and it's, uh, just Google excess mortality, our world in data, and it'll come up. And uh, they've got a chart shows excess mortality during the pandemic for all ages using this P-score that we just calculated. And um, England and Wales and Spain suffered high levels of excess mortality. Others like Germany and Norway were more modest. But I'm just looking at the United States. So, um, so when the first wave hit uh, April 12th, 2020, we had... Um, 45% increase in excess mortality. In other words, you know, if you had 100, 100 people die on that day, we had 145 die that day. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Then it declined until around June 14th, where it was down to 13%. And then it started to climb up again. And at July 26th, it was up 27%. So there was 27% excess mortality between July 26th and August 2nd. And now it's starting to drop again. So as of September 6th, it was down to 10%. So we are getting better at treating this, but there are still people dying from it. You know, we throw the remdesivir 
uh, convalescent plasma, dexamethasone at them, and whatever they still, you know, they still don't make it. So, and when I say they, I mean those people that don't make it. I mean, most we're getting better at this all the time, and um, the death rate is declining significantly because we've learned how to uh, deal with this. Now, if we could just get a therapeutic like favipiravir or one of the other uh, early treated things or remdesivir inhaled, there's there's a version that you can uh, that you can take as an inhalation when you're not in the hospital. You don't have to have an IV. That might be something. Anything that will keep us from progressing from mild disease to serious, severe disease will help us end this thing because I'm sick of it and I'm sick of viruses in general I am not even effing kidding we need to have um, a moon launch type Manhattan project type program that eradicates these asinine viruses from the face of the earth because they just reproduce for what? to no end just to reproduce themselves it's like, you know, it's just like a game to them. And this is not a game. So kiss my ass viruses. Thanks. Always go to Tacey, my delightful friend. Thank you. We can't forget Rob Sprantz, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teft, Lewis Johnson, Paul Opcharsky, Eric Nagel, Roland Campos, Sam Roberts, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Matt Kleinschmidt, Dale Dudley, the great Rob Bartlett, Bernie and Sid, Holly from Florida, Ron Bennington, and Fez Watley, Chowdy from uh, wherever she's from, who supported this show has never gone unappreciated. Also, don't forget uh, Martha from Arkansas. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel, SiriusXM channel 103, Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern, on demand, and other times at Lewis Johnson's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps, wash your hands, wear your mask, quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine. Thank you. Well, thank you. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, 
indoor or outdoor. You can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com.